0: Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Catherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this sobering question. How does a kid raised in a Christian home and in the church become a drag queen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gloves are off for this topic, moms and dads. We've all seen these stories. Many parents are living them. I know. You've written me. Sometimes what we teach our kids doesn't stick. It doesn't become their own. They have outside influences that erode the foundation that us parents seek so diligently to build. And as we've said all along, mamas and papas, our kids can't live off of our faith forever. Forever. We cannot choose it for them, nor do we want to. We want them to embrace a relationship with Jesus themselves. And sometimes despite our best efforts, our kids pick the hard path to the truth and to God. Today, I'm sharing with you a cautionary tale of a young man who was raised in the church in the Bible Belt, and he found himself choosing a very destructive path, finding his love and affirmation under layers of makeup and pounds of fake body parts. There are a lot of lessons that us parents can learn from his story. And don't worry, while today's tale is tragic, in the very next episode, you will hear how the same young man went from being a drag queen to being a minister of the gospel. I know, I know. Only God can write a story like that. It is amazing. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy
2: World. So let's get started. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day, with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or, what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time... The Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
0: Alrighty moms and dads, this is a very tough topic today and it's not for little ears. You might want to pop your earbuds in for this one. Now, you know, I'd like to set the stage for you to tell you how I ran across my guest today. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I ran across Blake Howard's story a couple of months ago on one of the many podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis. That show is called Red Pilled America, by the way, and it's not a Christian podcast. It's a cultural podcast that shares truth through the art of storytelling. It's a fascinating show. So, so well done. So a couple of months ago, they did this episode called Bondage and it was about the transgender phenomena sweeping our nation so i had to tune in and i was blown away by this guy's story and the fact that they told it on this secular podcast because spoiler alert Though this guy goes from a church youth group to being a drag queen, which we will talk about in this episode, he then goes from doing drugs and dressing in drag to getting radically saved and becoming a minister, which we'll talk about in the next episode. And Red Pilled America tells that story beautifully, not shying away from how God radically saved this young man's life. And then I saw Blake on Alibeth Beth Stuckey's podcast, which is huge. And it went viral. And I picked up his book, From Mascara to Manhood, which you can get on Amazon. I will post a link. And then I tracked Blake down to see if he would come on CPCW. And I was thrilled, just thrilled when he agreed. No. I didn't originally plan on doing two episodes with Blake, but he had so much to say that I think is truly valuable for us as parents. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to converse with our kids about sex and sexuality, something that Blake never really did with his parents growing up. We'll talk about how to protect our kids from dangerous sexual situations, which is so important. We'll talk about the effects of bullying, especially kids struggling in this area of sexuality, how that affects them. And along the way, you will see how a church kid can slowly descend into a life of sexual confusion and gender dysphoria, all from a guy who has been there and has a lot of wisdom to offer. So with that said, let's jump right in. Blake. Thank you so much for coming on CPCW to educate parents about the challenges the next generation is facing in the area of sexuality. Yeah. There are several things that I hope to accomplish in this episode. First, I want to give glory to God for his ability to transform a life. You have such a powerful testimony of transformation, which you have written about in your book from mascara to manhood. I have a copy and I've read it and I've got it all highlighted. And I want to turn you just to share your testimony because I think hearing what God has done in somebody else's life is so, so encouraging, especially for the parents who have children who are struggling in this area. But in that process, it's my sincere hope to help parents You have children struggling in this area to equip them with some tools that they can use to both guard their children and guide their children on their spiritual journeys. So uh, tell us about your upbringing and how you first started noticing that you were struggling in some areas that didn't line up with your faith, the faith that you were being taught about in your home.
1: I grew up in the South. I grew up in the Bible Belt a lot like you, and I grew up... Kind of like those those southern values, you know, you're just a good old boy, you you know what's right from wrong. It's honestly, you know, I, I was kind of always taught a certain way. And I kind of when I started realizing the way my mind worked and, you know, kind of my I guess my sexual preferences, if you will, then it began to give me a lot of, you know, questions. It gave me a lot of things to consider and, and it started bringing up a lot of concerns for me because I was really, I, I was in a state of confusion ultimately.
0: And how old were you at this point?
1: Um, So I guess I always kind of date back to about the age of six or seven is when I kind of mm-hmm. really realized that I I had a sexual attraction to boys. I remember early, I mean, I grew up in the early 2000s, obviously, mm-hmm. so. Some of the popular singers then, some of the popular like Disney Channel stars and those kind of things, I always began to find like attractive. And then when the girls would talk about them in my class or talk about some of the other boys, even as early as like fourth, I would say probably about third or fourth grade, I would, re- I remember thinking like, oh, this boy is a- attractive. He's cute. Like the girls are saying he's cute. And so I started, I started thinking the exact same thing, you know, I, and it was really this. It was confusing for me because I honestly, mm-hmm. I had never had the sex talk. Um, No one had really ever like had that conversation with me. And so I really didn't know what I was feeling. We were going to a mega church at the time. I was in kids ministry sometimes, but I honestly preferred to be with my mom in the big service. And I think even growing up and I have nothing and nothing against mega churches, I, I love I love that particular ministry still, but I think if you are not rooted in your own relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. you can eventually become very lost mm-hmm. in the overall like just, just it being big and your number. Mm-hmm. I understand why people, you know, hate mega churches and that kind of thing, but ultimately it it boils down to like, do you have a relationship with Jesus or not? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like where I was at. I was seven, six or seven years old. I realized that I liked boys. I was going to church. And I just remember thinking like, I don't want to share these feelings with people because I feel like it's wrong. Right. You know, I've always grew up, you know, like believing that it was supposed to be a a boy and a girl, like a married. Mm -hmm. And so it was, that was kind of my thought process. And then as... I continued growing up at the age of seven, I was introduced to sex by another boy, Mm. kind of explained what sex was and, you know, what his, I guess another family member had explained to him what sex was. Mm. And it ultimately began to kind of like create more questions in my head. And then as our friendship progressed, then we eventually, he ended up like, you know, kind of convincing me to begin to like act in sexual ways towards each other and and performing different sexual acts on each other because it was a game to him. And honestly, to this day, I really believe that he was probably in a little bit more of a molestation situation uh, because it it, now as an adult, now I realize what was happening to me. I can only imagine what was happening to him. Mm. And so he was trying things that I guess other people were trying with him. On me and then eventually it happened about two i think it happened like two or three times and he just explained to me like you're you're the girl you're the wife and i'm i'm the dad and like this is how it's supposed to be and then eventually his older brother got involved but you know again it was always presented to me as a gang and it was never to me anything other than that and so even as a child I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of shame towards that. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to services and thinking like, God's never going to forgive me for this. And I remember asking forgiveness all the time. I had never told my parents or never said anything. Mm-hmm. So it was really something that weighed on me as a child.
0: Oh.
1: And I knew that there was something wrong. And there was a lot of different thoughts and all different things that were going through my head. The, the, I never remember the one thing that I have I knew for certain views I can't. I can't tell my parents because I didn't want them to get mad. No, oh. and so then again, like it, it began to pose more and more questions for myself about sexuality, what sex was, what was sex used for, and and it just kind of started spiraling from there.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We did a four part series last year on sexuality here on CPCW. And I have a very good friend who's getting her doctorate in Christian counseling and specializing in sexuality uh, named Erin Barry. We wrote a couple of articles. I'm going to link it in this uh, in the show notes for this. But we just came out with our latest article on this. And one of her suggestions, which kind of surprised me, was that parents need to be talking to their kids about sex by like five or six. Yes. Yeah. And it kind of surprised me because I'm like, well, that sounds so early. And yet what you just said Absolutely confirms that because your introduction to sex was not from a godly source. It was from an ungodly source. It was from a friend. And so, yeah, Aaron was spot on on that. And that was the advice that we put in the article was that, you know, and I think that's counterintuitive for parents. We want to protect them. We want to keep them innocent and safe for longer. That's not helping them. We need to have these conversations because somebody is and the parent wants to be the first one to have that conversation. So I'm glad, so glad you brought that up. Was there anything that perhaps your parents could have done to prevent that sort of a situation with your friend? If they, I, you know, I'm looking to help parents guard and guide their children when they're very young. I, I think one of the first and foremost things, is just like I said, having those
2: conversations, right? Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day. With prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or, what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the daily family conversation starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once.
1: I think that's, that's honestly the biggest way you can protect your children. I, both me and my wife were molested at a young age. And so she was introduced to sex very early and I was introduced to sex very early. And so, I mean, that's even one thing in our, in our house. I, I don't let, we have a two-year-old and I don't let her go out of town. I don't let her go out of town with anybody, even if it's to go see, you know, some in-laws family, like, we, I really don't let her go anywhere without me. In that case, she does sit mm-hmm. parents' houses overnight and that kind of thing. But at leaving our city, leaving our house like that, I don't let it happen. And the reason is, is because I, we were both molested by someone who was very close to us, someone that her family trusted, someone my family trusted. I had been friends with this little boy for about three years before this ever really happened. We moved to that area when I was about four or five, and then it didn't happen until I was about seven so up until then, there had never really been any cause for like questioning mm-hmm. but I mean honestly, one tool and I mean I can send it to you so you can link it if you decide you want to, but yeah, one tool that i I gained from listening to a couple of different parenting podcasts and stuff when i was before I was even married, honestly. Um, just about sexuality and different things like that is I I found out about these books that were called God's Design for Sex.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it starts off from three to five years old and it basically breaks what they need to know at that that moment down Mm -hmm. their level. The biggest thing that honestly I tell tons of parents that ask me about my molestation or ask me about homosexuality, all that kind of stuff, I really think that it's about talking about it now. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, don't stress out if they, your kid's eight or nine and you haven't talked to them yet, but now go ahead. Now it's time to catch them up. Um, mm-hmm. And we purchased those books for our own kids. So it's like once my, once our daughter turns about three or four, especially because she's about to have a brother, they're obviously going to see each other in the bathtub mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, it's it's normal for kids to kind of do that, especially if you're siblings, you grow up around each other, but honestly talking to them about it, it doesn't, you know, it necessarily, I've read through the first one already and it kind of just breaks down where babies come from, of how God mm-hmm. did babies and like why he created them and, and different things like that and gives a lot of knowledge to that. I think the biggest mistake that parents make, and this is why a lot of parents don't have the sex talk early on, is because they start talking too much and then their kids begin to have questions about the things that they are they heard that they didn't already have questions about until you said something mm-hmm. and so they're like i'll oh, have this like stigma this stress of i don't want to say the wrong thing or i don't want to bring up something too early and resources like that tools like those books are honestly some of the best things that i recommend i recommend it to my my in-laws i've recommended to family friends I posted it everywhere because I, I love those books in particular, the tools and resources like that, that are age appropriate, that kind of like help graduate kids. Those books go all the way up to 16 years old. It's awesome. And it, and it's, I mean, it's it's important. I think that realistically, it's silly for me to think that I, although I'm a parent, I'm going to be with my child 100% a 1000% of the time. Mm-hmm and always having a watchful eye on them kids get into stuff kids you know do things they get into cabinets when they're toddlers they do different things you catch them and it's the same thing you're they're going to be 10 11 years old exploring their bodies they're going to have friends and it's really important about giving them the knowledge giving them the basis and now so that way when they do get into the situation Mm -hmm. they know how to handle it or they know how to like communicate with you so that way you can help handle the situation. It's all about educating your kids on an age-appropriate level, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and keeping that open line of communication. Hey, I'm the source that you can come to. And what what the world wants to do right now is say that culture is this, you know, th- this driving narrative in the LGBTQ community is the authority on truth and identity. But we, and parents need to establish themselves very early on with this topic. We've got to head this one off at the pass. And but what I hear you saying back to your story is that the molestation that you experienced and the experimentation that you experienced solidified something you already felt. It right. wasn't caused by that. Your right. same sex attraction wasn't caused by that, but rather it it kind of cemented that for you. So what happened from there?
1: So and that's one thing just to kind of like close this out is my mom has always asked me what could we have done Mm. what more could we have done and of course like it's it's the guilt of the parent like feeling like they weren't a good enough parent Mm. and I will say this if you were molested or if anybody was molested or if your child has struggled with that it has been molested and you guys are trying to heal from that as parent to a parent the biggest thing and even a former lgbtq someone who's been molested it's first of all don't blame yourself like please don't blame yourself mm. because honestly that's not going to do anything for you and it's only going to pull you away from your child because then they're going to feel bad for you and not want to hear things with you and so don't blame yourself i just i feel like that's super important especially for all these parents that are listening
0: mm. that's excellent
1: but again, that's solidified thing. I was already I was already feeling those things. For me, I was we I was raised Christian for the most part. And I was I was very I was very like censored and kind of sheltered in what I could watch and what I couldn't watch. I was not allowed to watch Nickelodeon. I was not allowed to watch Cartoon Network. If I watched Cartoon Network, it was like the television shows that came on in the sixties. So I grew up on a lot of like Flintstones and Jetsons and stuff like that because those are things like my parents watched. I grew up like TV land and things like that because those were like the wholesome shows from when my parents were growing up. The only thing I really got to watch was Disney. And so when I would watch like movies and pretzel movies and stuff like that, I would identify automatically with Mm -hmm. the female characters. And then when I, after that, like Mm -hmm. sexuals, like, encounter it kind of just made more sense to me and so i always wanted to be the princess i always wanted to be the queen i always wanted to be the female character i related with that i had a super strong relationship with my mom so i was constantly with her and although my parents are happily married my dad is incredible and he did a very good job providing for our family i never connected with him he's always working and um we are honestly just from two completely like opposite generations if you think about it boomers and millennials are two different types of people and so i built i honestly have seen this with a lot of millennials that we are a little bit more sensitive guys are a little bit more in touch with their feelings and boomers were raised by these men that came out of war out of the baby boom, mm-hmm. right after war at home, you got pregnant, you started a family, that kind of thing. So you have all of these men that were raised by men that were taught more to not think about their feelings, to not think about who they are, to not worry about all of the like inner things and just shut up and be a man. And so that's really where all of this like gross masculinity, this negative masculinity stigma comes from. Hmm. It's because it came from the fifties and sixties, out of that, the forty World War Two, they came home, they had babies, and they were taught by people who were in the military that were like, just shut up and do it, right? And it was like that's all they knew. And especially in the South, mm-hmm. you go up a certain way, so it was really just like me connecting my mom all the time. Really, uh, I my dad was incredible, and he was there, but not emotionally like I needed him to be. Uh-huh. And so I remember even as a young kid, I was probably like eight or nine. And mind you, like my molestation had already happened. And that was about the time that American Idol was like at its peak. That was back when like the judges are still the same. And you had to like call on your your phone, the 1-800 number and vote for your favorite person. Like dot 17 billion times to try to get your, your favorite and contestant as many votes as possible. I remember I we I'd been following this guy since he had auditioned and he was like in the top ten or whatever and he was one of my favorite performers on the show and I was like he's super cool, he's attractive, he has really cool hair and he was like kinda punky and a lot darker and different than I was and um and I was very just kind of like mesmerized by him obviously. And I remember bringing him up at the dinner table and my mom had mentioned he had done an interview somewhere on our local news or something along those lines. And, um, he had like explosively, like outlet, I basically just out like flat said that he was gay. And so when my mom mentioned that, my dad immediately, um, in, like immediately was like, well, we don't talk about fags. Oh, wow. I, i yeah, of course, I hate that word, Sally and, uh, but I've also done interviews where people have like written like a synopsis later and they've, the way they word it, they always make my dad sound like a villain, but here mm-hmm. it's, and like, it's that, it's that gross masculine stigma from the South and especially being a boomer. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not an excuse. It's just like the realities of the South. Fortunately, it's the realities of that generation that was before the boomer. Mm-hmm. And of course, my parents lived through segregation. I mean, that happened while, you know, and like homosexuality wasn't even a thing. Right. And, you know, I've had conversations with my mom that in the 70s, you didn't talk about it. If you were gay, mm-hmm. you you were closeted. And men who wanted to be with men, they did it behind closed doors and in the dark because they didn't want anybody to find out. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what, why we are seeing such a, a crazy like. Bush on homosexuality now because even the older generations, like, people are really they're like, we've struggled this all this time, you know, we we've, we've had to hide behind closed doors and now it's free, we're open getting marriages open, you know, all that kind of stuff so it's like, that's why it's like a flood because the gates were closed for so long and there was just so much, like, so much built ready to just bust out mm-hmm. and I definitely think that If you look at it, like a lot of the people that are pushing homosexuality in our media aren't even necessarily like younger forefront thinkers. They are older people that are close to their sixties, fifties or sixties that are pushing this agenda because they had to hide it for so long and they're doing it for revenge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, I, I was okay. Well, we don't talk about it. Like, and that's why it would like really solidified in my head we don't talk about it i never tell my parents
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just made him very like like be quiet like let's not talk about it so uh growing through middle school through high school getting bullied getting like you know mm-hmm. pu- like pushed around and things like that I, w- I had eventually started going to my mom about it because the school system really wasn't doing anything about it I would go to counselors about the bullying. They would just bring up the bullying to the bullies and then tell them not to do it again. It would just make the bullying worse. There was no like being anonymous or anything like that. It was just like, like so and so told me you bullied him, and now don't go bully so and so.
0: Would they were they bullying you for your because they thought that you were gay?
1: Yeah, or? and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't out of the closet or anything. So it was right. I, I denied for a very long time to be mm-hmm. like dead honest. So it was, I was trying to like convince everybody I wasn't, you know, but I, at the same time, I was a musical theater person. I loved mm-hmm. it. I love high school musical, like all the things that all the 13, 14 year old girls loved. I love too. So me dressing in super bright colors, super preppy and that kind of thing. Like, even when I would try to keep up with the trends, like, I was somehow still get bullied for the way I dressed, for the way I looked. I was a late bloomer when it came to my puberty, so my voice it took a while for me to get a deep voice, and even into my like twenties, I still had a higher voice. Not because I was taking any kind of like estrogen or anything, or you know, growth hormones. It was because I just have a higher voice, and throughout all of my theater career, and I was able to get the higher notes. Which in musical theater is like a great key thing, but everywhere else, everybody to bully you because you haven't fully like gloomed yet. So throughout my entire middle school and high school career, I was being bullied, constantly being told that I should be gay. I'd probably be better off if I was gay. Like I should just be gay already. I had theater friends. I'd be like, you would be, you would make a great gay best friend if you would just be gay already. Some of it was teasing, some of it was ill-hearted bullying, but it was just kind of like, it was over. And of course, like the the Bible says, our words have power. So mm. over time, like I was just like, you know, I, I mentally think about this, like with guys And then you're also thinking everybody else thinks I am. So you kind of have this thing in your, in the back of your mind. And I remember I was a sophomore and this guy started messaging me and he was like, Hey, you know, we just became friends. And one of my other friends who was, I was a mutual friend of ours was he, she reached out to me and was like, Hey, he likes, like he likes, he likes you. And, and I just like, I know that you've never dated a guy. So I just want him, like, I want you like protection or whatever. And I was like, okay, well I'll tell him. And so I ended up telling him, Hey, I don't like you like that. Like, I appreciate your friendship, but I, I don't, I'm not gay. And so we stopped talking to each other completely. And then, he finally got into high school and I was a junior at the time. So he was a freshman and uh, somehow we ended up talking again. We got reconnected and we just became best friends and uh, eventually prom came around. I ended up telling him like, I think I like, you. like, I, I think I like you. And I just, I've never come out and told anybody that I am gay. I've never like told anyone that I struggle with. Like I like guys. I, I, am homosexual, you know, whatever. So it was a very big it was a big scary thing for me. My parents were like well known in the community. My mom was PTA president. My dad was a big person in the community that he did a lot of like uh, community work. Don't even know a lot of stuff through our school. Everybody knew his name. And so it was just kind of like I didn't want to disappoint them. And Mm was honestly afraid of telling anybody because I was like, if I tell someone, I might go tell my parents, you know. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up like after a while, finally telling him, like, I really do like you. And so that was kind of where it began. I just I actually didn't even date him until after I graduated high school. And and that became my on and off boyfriend for about 10 months. But it was definitely a scary process.
0: This is so, so interesting because. What you touched on, and I thought you you really articulated beautifully the generation that your parents came out of, and what we what we've kind of done, and you, you mentioned this in the book. I think it was in chapter six. It's you have this quote uh, that you said that this minister gave you some wise advice. I, I'm guessing this might have been later on, but you said he said to be a man, you don't have to like big trucks or go fishing or love hunting you just have to be like the man who carries the real meaning of manhood. And that is Jesus. And unfortunately, we aren't having those conversations in our homes. We aren't having those conversations in the church enough about what is masculinity? What is femininity? And how do we express that? It doesn't have to look like you know, a certain way, it doesn't have to look like big trucks and fishing. You can be interested in musical theater. Do you think that would have freed you some growing up? Know that, you know, it, it feels like sometimes we're pushing people back into a corner who don't fit these molds that we think they need to go into. And it's, it's. And we're not having the right conversations there. And so the only people you had to talk to were people who were struggling with the same stuff you were. And that's not who you needed to be getting advice from. You needed to be getting advice from people who had some understanding of that and some grace for that and some understanding that we, we don't need to put people in such, such tiny little boxes. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think too, like I, after I've come out of the, the lifestyle and everything one of something i big, I've learned is like the biggest lessons I've learned are from men of God that never struggled with homosexuality necessarily they just were living this day-to day lifestyle of manhood in the kingdom of God
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um i I wrote a chapter about it like you need to find brothers that will walk with you. I think men just honestly have never been taught that it's okay to be emotional that it's okay to be like okay with your emotions you know and i you know we just found out we're having a boy and i'm stoked to have a boy like i'm i hope he loves baseball like i hope he loves musical theater whatever it is you know i want him to to do what he feels called to do and whatever that looks like but i think that Yeah, such a huge group of men that were raised by boomers or especially like people that are in their thirties or forties. They are their parents are most likely boomers. And, um, so they're the ones that are parents right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my generation is just becoming parents, the millennials. And so I think that we're in a place where, you know, it's okay to like have emotion. It's okay. I think it's super important to tell your boys, like, it's okay to cry. Like, it's okay to have a moment. It's okay to like, but like, let's get back up. Let's pray about it. Let's shake it off. And let's like, let's keep going. Let's trust the Lord that he's going to take care of it. That's what some of the guys were just teaching me when I was going through my transition from being a drag queen to being a man of God was like letting go. I, of course, I had a lot of like physical things I had to let go of, but it was just this mental thing of, you don't, because I, I've got some really stupid advice. I'll be like bluntly honest. Like I've gotten advice where people are like, you need to go? You need to go watch a football game. And I was kind of like, mm. there's a lot of gay guys in football or in sports. Mm. So you like, can't tell me to go watch a sport. That's going to make me straight.
0: Oh, wow. That's excellent. So you're you graduated from high school. And you're starting to embrace that. But when did you first start to experience cross-dressing and doing drag?
1: So I was really introduced to that. Of course, I was in theater and, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like a normal thing for guys to play women's roles if it was necessary.
0: Right. They did it all the time in Shakespeare back in the day. All of the Shakespearean actors dressed, (laughs) played the women. So
1: I, I wanted to play different roles. I was like, I was super excited. So my senior show ended up being Dear Spray. And I knew that I wanted from the get go, I wanted the mom character that, that has played by man for generations and John Volta in the movie and and even a different character, different, different uh, drag queens in the past. But. I wanted to play the character. I wanted to end my senior year as a theater kid, like with a bang. And I knew that that was going to do it. Like that was going to be the role that was going to hit all roles. And so I bought a pair of dance heels and I practiced. I performed like a female song for my audition and killed it. And then I did my dance audition in the heels. With the intention, like I was gonna, they didn't even do callbacks for the role because they immediately just cast. So it was like, it was something I had put my my eyes on. And so then I get to performance day. I put on the wig, I put on the bodysuit. And um and when I looked in the mirror, I was like, I I don't even, I didn't even feel like myself. Like I felt like, of course at theater, you step into someone else's shoes for a short period of time. But this was the first time that I was like, this is a whole nother person right here. Like this is not me. And so uh, I just kind of like, I went with it and then we, we get to production and we get to show week. And at the end of every performance, parents, I got standing ovations. People were were, like losing your mind. You know, you know how it feels amazing when you killed it and you know, you killed it. And uh, up until that point, I always believed I was not enough. I had this like, Constant idea that I was never going to measure up, that I was never going to be enough. My brother was the sports guy and he was like mm-hmm. the it that did every sport and killed it and made really good grades. So like I measured myself to him and we were 14 years apart. So it was like, we were, we didn't even live in the same household at that point, honestly, girl. But it was just like this idea that like he was so much better than me. So then when I was a theater kid, when I was everything else, like I was like, well, I'm never going to be him. I'm never going to be enough. So I'm just going to do whatever. Mm. And it was like, when I put on all this makeup, I put on this clothes and I put on the wig. Like it was finally like for a moment, I was enough. Like I was, everybody accepted me. Everybody loved me. Everybody like was over the moon. People thought that they had hired like a 40 year old woman to play the role. They didn't even realize there was a teenage boy in there. And I was just kind of like, it was just this instant just gratification. It was all of this like pressure relieved off of me because I finally felt like I fit in.
0: And after so long of not fitting in, I mean, here you finally get all of this affirmation that you never had before. So that was your first introduction to dressing like women. How did that carry on beyond that?
1: So I just kind of like took that feeling and I put it away and I kind of held on. And so after I graduated, I moved out. I moved into an apartment. I was doing community theater. I was a costume designer, and so I was doing costumes for different shows constantly. And then I started. Um, I kind of after I graduated, I started dating the guy that I had like kind of just been talking to for a long time. Then I started dating my ex-boyfriend. And we were on and off again. It was, it was mostly just at issues because I didn't want to come out as gay or commit in that sense. And so it really like, it hurt him a lot, frustrated him. So we would like break up and then we'd get back together and it was like on and off, on and off. And it honestly just began to be mostly like sexual and just trying to like hook up. I was dating him and also dating like a girl to kind of cover it up. And they basically found out about each other and it just became like a whole problem. And so I was honestly, I, at that point, I thought my life was over. Like they both were threatening to like expose me and tell everybody and do all of these things. And so I was just like, my life's over. Like I honestly had the largest like anxiety attack I ever had. It was like this. I couldn't breathe. I was crying. Like it was a whole thing because I was like, my life's over. Like... They're going to tell everybody I'm gay. And now like this secret I've been holding on to since I was seven is now being exposed. And so I then just kind of decided, you know, I'm going to go full force. Like if they're going to tell everybody, I'm going to go into it. And so I was working at a local lounge and they had like a karaoke night scene. And so I started kind of like shoveling up there, doing like little performance, drag performance that is and that kind of thing. And then, uh, I would do like different songs and then I told one of my friends, I was like, what if I was just like a drag queen? Like, I was like, that'd be crazy. And I started thinking up like ideas and names and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool. And I remembered all that instant gratification in the background of my head. That might be an option for me. So I kind of put it on the back burner. And then I remember a theater mom reached out to me and was like, hey, I have a drag queen opening and that needs field. We're doing like a a breast cancer drag show or a drag race at this field and we want like every I guess like every school or every company that was a part of the fundraiser needed to have a drag queen representative representative to be in the drag show. And so, what we did was, she was like, "Hey, like, you want to do it?" And I was like, "Sure, like, I'm down." And I just kind of told my mom, "Like, it's for breast cancer, and they want me to pull back, like, they want me to pull out my old like hairspray stuff." And and she'd be like, "Okay, I mean, whatever." And so it, she kind of didn't think twice about it. I went I put my makeup on, and I put the dress on. I pulled together like body pieces so I could like, a per, like perform as a woman. And then I grabbed my wig and. I remember like my mom driving me to the the track because it was at actually like on the the field and track up at this college and there was like a drag race and um, I remember it was so awkward but I kind of felt like I was I had a reason behind it because I was doing it for breast cancer because she had had breast cancer and my brother had had cancer about the same, exact same time she did so I was like I'm really doing this for you know breast cancer and I felt like I was kind of you know, at least it, I had kind of explained myself somewhat. And so I got out of the car. She dropped me off and then I, I went and she said, Oh, the, the lady that had called me, the mom, she was like, Oh, honey, they're going to need a name for the, the show and what song you're going to perform. And I was like, okay. So I couldn't really think of anything. So I just immediately chose Velma because I was obsessed with the sixties and I had this blonde wig that I had like, styled like the like this huge 60s bouffant so okay I'm just going to choose Velma it was a character in Hairspray and so I kind of I gave myself this facade of this like sensual 1960s housewife blonde and just kind of like very much like the character Velma in Hairspray and so I kind of I did um, Baltimore Crabs from Hairspray I did that as my performance then you're supposed to go out to the crowd with your purse and like open it. And they were all supposed to like stick money into your purse. And then the money was supposed to go to the cause of breast cancer. So I remember I did pretty well and I got a lot of change and dollar bills stuck into my uh, purse. And then afterwards we were supposed to do like the walk around the track as the race. And um I remember after I got finished, like once again, there was all of this like Oh my God, you were the best one. You were amazing. You were incredible. All of this instant gratification again came rising back up from all of those like times I performed in hairspray. And I was like, damn, like this is nice. So then that was really when I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this. And so I started just showing up in the bars and drag, just trying to like kind of be there and see how people handled me. I did different like cabarets, different theater shows, and different things like that for people when they needed me, and and I kept getting all this extra gratification, and I was just like, man, this mm-hmm. is amazing. And then I remember there was a point where, because amongst all of the like me trying to be a drag queen and getting into different bars, and I mean, I was in places that I shouldn't have been uh, even legally allowed to go in, but because I was in drag, you no know, one like even like cared they didn't even question me when i ordered an alcoholic beverage because if i handed them an id they were never going to know who was really under all the makeup so i mean led me by alcohol even at 18 years old so i amongst all of the drag and all that kind of stuff i was also like pretty heavy on drugs i had started smoking weed and doing cocaine because that was like what my friend groups were doing i was so like stuck on trying to find friends in high school with my theater troupe and all the stuff. And I never really like had friends, real friends. And so when I graduated and you stopped talking to all the people you go to high school with, cause you're not with them on a day to day basis, your friend group like completely shrinks. And so uh-huh. connecting with all random old people that I had missed from high school or whatever, and then becoming friends with them and they were on like, You know, drinking and smoking weed. Eventually, as a group, we all got introduced to cocaine at the same time. I remember it was like one of the the drag performances, and I was like, I just remember thinking, like, I'm so sick of her getting all the attention. Like, I'm I'm over her being the one that gets everything. You know, like she's the one that gives me the gratification. She's the one that gets me the acceptance. Like. Why can't they just love Blake for who Blake is? You know, it's so it was like really like crazy to me that I was I really at this at the end of the day, had to put all this makeup on, how to put like a fake breast, fake butt. And then that's when people were would accept me.
0: That's when people would accept me. (sighs) So sad. So how does this young man who is drowning in drugs and dressing and drag get saved? and become a minister of the gospel. Sorry to leave you guys on a cliffhanger, but you're going to have to tune in to the next episode to hear the conclusion of this story. It is nothing short of a miracle. And be sure to check out my Instagram page at, at Catherine Seegers and my Facebook page, Catherine Seegers Speaker, to see clips and inspirational quotes from all my interviews. Drop me a line there while you're at it, and please give this episode a share. We'd sure appreciate it. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now, and I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh, and maybe you could, say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. You know, uh, j- just a thought. Uh, and be sure to check out my website, which is Seegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time.